as we read God's scriptures this morning. We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, His work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. This is God's word. Thanks, Carol. Morning, everyone. Let me just get ready, get dressed, then we can start. As I said last week, we are going to continue the theme. Do you remember what we spoke about last week? No idea. (laughs) So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll do what the preachers in what I think used to be Vietnam or Cambodia, somewhere like that. that as the church was developing, the pastors who weren't trained theologically, they would come together to a centre and a person who had been trained would teach them something from the scriptures. They would go back to their villages and they would teach that and they would come back and be taught and that went on week after week, month after month. And the first thing they said each week was, do you remember what we said last week? They go, no. Then he would repeat the message from last week. (laughs) So let's go to Luke 16 and we'll start again. We spoke about the unjust steward or the foolish manager, if you like. Remember, those of you who are here. It's about a man who got commended by the master and Jesus took and told this story. It's a man who did a bad thing, but there is a good lesson that comes out of it. And the lesson was basically that he saw the future coming. He was in trouble and he prepared for it. That's the point. And I said last week that uh, that's what we need to be like, that 
We have been informed of what's coming, the future, a day of judgment, a day of accounting, and we need to prepare for it. And we prepare for it by this life. And it's what we do in this life that will make a difference in the next life. It's not about salvation by works. It's our belief, and only by our belief, our faith in the Lord Jesus that gets us into heaven. But it's our behavior as we follow Jesus that determines our position or status, if you like, in heaven. And that implies, and I think it's correct, that there are various, whatever the word is, levels, degrees of glory, that we will not all be the same. Just as we're not all the same in this life, certainly we will not all be the same in the next life. And we may all be very surprised about, you know, who has done remarkably well. And so I said last week we would... I wanted to get onto this idea of living for rewards in this life and what does the Bible teach about it and so that's what we're going to do. So I invite you to bow with me in prayer, put your seatbelt on, take a drink of water and then we're going to go flat out. Let's pray. Thank you Heavenly Father for this opportunity again that we have as your people to come together, <clears throat> to worship you, to encourage each other and to learn together. Help us to retrain, uh, retain spiritual truth that our lives might be shaped and impacted by it, that we might be wise stewards preparing for the day of accounting, preparing for the next life, the real life. So Lord, speak to us and help us, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, we all know the seven stages of man, don't we, of life? I'm not talking about, because um, it's Christmas. You know, the three stages of a man is he, he's born and he believes in Santa Claus and then he goes through a second phase of life where he doesn't believe in Santa Claus and the third phase of life is he is Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm talking about that. <clears throat> the seven phases of life are we are in the womb and then we are born, you're a baby and then you're a toddler, then you're a teen, then you're a, a child, then you're a teen, then you're an adult, then you're a senior. They're the seven stages, phases, whatever, of life. Well, the Bible amplifies that for us. The Bible gives us, I've forgotten how to drive this. Bump. The seven phases of life. I hope you can read that. Uh, firstly, we are created. We are made in God's image for a life purpose. We are conceived in the womb. We are born body, soul and spirit where we then grow and we learn. Second phase is we are living. And it's in this life that we get to choose. You get to choose to accept Jesus, repent and believe and receive him as our Lord and Saviour. Or you get to choose to reject him and that likewise has consequences as we move on. Third phase is we all die. Death. We leave this earth. At the beginning when we're created we enter this life. Life in this planet and then at the third phase death is where we leave this planet, this Fear is, fear is existence. We don't die in terms of we cease to exist, but death simply means separation. That our body and, is separated from our soul and spirit. Forced, and it's like at death is a Y intersection. And that Y intersection uh, leads to a destination or a destiny which is determined by whether we believe or not. And if we believe, we head for paradise. And if we don't believe, then we head for another place called Hades. Um, where there will be, it's a waiting time and we are awaiting the final judgment. The next phase, number five, is the resurrection where we all rise, we receive a new body, an immortal, glorified, incorruptible body and it'll never die again. 
Phase six, this is where we're going to focus this morning a fair bit when we get to it, is we stand. It's a time of review. We'll stand before either the judgment seat of God if we're not a believer in Jesus or we'll stand before the beamer judgment seat of Christ where we'll give an evaluation, a review, a performance review, if you like, of how we have lived for him. <laughs> that person's going to hell. <laughs> Number seven. Number seven. I was just joking. They may not be going. No, they're not. No, it's okay. Number seven is eternity. Every idle word that you speak, you have to give an account for. So that's on my list when I get there, I'm sure. Eternity is where we serve. We live out using the rewards that we receive in eternity and a few other things. So let's, we're going to focus this morning on level two, our life here and choosing. And then number six, the review the rewards and the consequences of the life choices we make. So, all who believe, all who accept the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, are all born of God, we're all adopted into his family, and we are all heirs. And that inheritance for us is unlosable. It is reserved for us. The scripture says, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have an inheritance and you won't lose us. Regardless of whatever you do in your life and how obedient or disobedient or active or lazy you are, you will not lose some of your inheritance. All believers will receive eternal life. The righteousness of Christ will be holy, will be like him, because when we see him as he is, we'll be transformed immediately. We all receive a new resurrection body and we'll all experience and enjoy life with God in heaven, where there was no tears, no regrets, none of that. Even though there is distinctions or differences, it's going to be without any sense of competition. Um, and we don't know enough information, but at the same time, it's going to be without regret. But we'll come back to that, perhaps. Um, so we all receive those things. Um, what we are to do in this life is to take God's word, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, we are to obey it and to be sanctified by it and to receive our inheritance. Paul says to the uh, elders at Miletus, he says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, the scriptures, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So while there's a part of your inheritance which is fixed, we are to take the scriptures and in responding to that of reading and obeying and being sanctified by it, that also adds to our inheritance. That's where the difference bit comes in. Um, not every heir receives an equal inheritance or reward. Well, that makes sense, and I need to establish that for you a little bit. In the NFL, which is the only game of football that's really worth watching, and I'm sure they do in other athletic, um, professional athlete sports as well, in their contracts they have this no-cut contract with incentive clauses. Incentive clauses. And what that means is this particular athlete has a secure position on the team, 
They receive and share in all that the team members get when they win. But if he or this athlete, she, if this athlete particularly performs well, very well, then they get a bonus on top of what others get. They have this incentive clause in their contracts. And then if they don't perform well, if they underperform or they're substandard or whatever, then they forfeit, not what everybody else on the team gets with a win, but they forfeit that bonus they would have got. Does that make sense? Say yes. Good. Um, so there is a relationship between, uh, we're, we've got an inheritance, but there's also a bonus built into it. And we are the ones who determine that bonus which is coming because it's based upon our labours, upon what we do. And God gives it to us, not because we deserve it, but because he is a generous, gracious God. He doesn't have to do any of that, but he invites us to do so. The Lord Jesus is our example. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 that he is the heir of all things. He owns everything. It's created by him, for him, through him, and it exists for him. He is the owner of everything. The Bible also says to us that he gained his inheritance through his obedience to his father. When he came into this world, he set aside Philippians 2. He laid aside his... This is the mystery. What did he lay aside? All of the outward manifestation of his glory. And he ended life as a fully, full human. He's still fully God, but he's also now fully human. It's beyond explanation, but true. And as a man, as a human, he was fully obedient to his father. And through that obedience, he now receives the inheritance. Philippians chapter 2. Because he was obedient unto death, therefore God has exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. So as he received it through obedience to his father, so he is our example, and the same thing will happen to us. As we are obedient, so we will inherit. Jesus tells a parable which you, most of you will be very familiar with. In Luke 19, it's the parable of the miners, M-I-N-A-S, not the guys who dig down in the ground, but the minas. Yes? No? I pronounce it minus. It's probably supposed to be pronounced minna, but I'm too academically lazy to get my tongue around it. Jesus tells a story because he's, about, he's heading to Jerusalem and his disciples, the apostles with him, they think he's going to Jerusalem to set up the kingdom. They think it's about to happen. And he needs to explain this to them. I'm going to Jerusalem, but I'm not going to set up the kingdom. I am them leaving and I'm going away for a while and then I'll come back. What do I want you to do in my absence as you await my return? He tells this parable. He talks about a nobleman who called in 10 servants who was going on a long journey and he gave each of the 10 servants, note this, don't get the parables mixed up. He gave each of the 10 servants one minna. One for you, one for you, one for you, across all 10. They all got the same. Don't confuse this parable with the parable of the talents, Matthew 25 which is where he gave to one servant three talents and he gave to one five talents and he gave to another one two talents and he gave to one one talent, whatever it was, right? A talent, by the way, is 60 minas. Just thought you'd like to know that. A mina is about four months' wages. 
So it's a substantial amount of money. Now he gave to each 10 of the servants one minute each. And off he went on his journey. And they were to do business for the master, for their, their king, because that's what he was going away to do, to receive a kingship and he would return. And the citizens of that country, when he left, were quite hostile towards him and they did not want that man to return as king. They did not want that man to rule over him. This is the parable that Jesus tells. What does it mean? In my understanding, because they all received the same, we're not talking about gifts, spiritual gifts, or talents or abilities or anything like that. We all got the same. What is it that all Christians get which is the same? The gospel. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. We're all on the same playing field. None of us are better than the other or less than the other. We all receive those things that I spoke to you about before, eternal life, forgiveness, the righteousness of Jesus eventually. We all have the same. We have the gospel. And in this world, we are to do business for the, the king, for the returning king, to do with the gospel, to take the opportunities we have and to use them to make others. In the parable, the scripture actually says that one of the men had uh, took one minute and he made ten. And he presented that to the, the king when he returned. And that servant gets commended, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, Enter into the joy of your Lord. You made ten, the minor I gave you has turned into ten minors. Um, you inherit and rule over ten cities. Second servant came and he had one minor and it turned into five. And he's, there's no commendation for him. It just says, um, you'll rule over five cities. Now, before we get to the next one, notice this. The king, the absent master, took note of the, the, uh, the labours of his servants and rewarded them accordingly. That he gave them greater responsibility or greater blessing based upon their efforts and labours in his absence. The same principle, I think, holds true all the way through the scriptures. Um, the Lord notices the work of each servant and he rewards accordingly. There was one servant then out of the ten who did not do any business for the king. He had one minna and he gives the one minna back to the master and he says some bad things about the master and he ended up being stripped of everything. The Lord says, and the man who had one and did nothing with it, take it from him, give it to the one who had ten. What does that mean? Well, it could mean one of two things. And there's no easy way to split it, so they could both be true. It could be that the servant is a professing believer, a person who acknowledges is a believer and acknowledges that Jesus is Lord, but he actually loses his reward because he didn't do anything with it. Could mean that. Or secondly, and maybe a bit better, while he is a servant outwardly, he's not a servant in his heart and he's got a wrong attitude to the king. He doesn't serve the king. He makes up excuses for why he wasn't serving the king. And so what he had is taken from him. He had the gospel, if you like, but he never did anything with it, never accepted it, never took it on board. And so even that is removed from him. Perhaps that's what it means. But don't get tied up too much into that. And then the king says, bring me those citizens who are rebellious against me and they don't want me to rule over them, and he executes them. That's the story that Jesus tells. It's a lovely little story, isn't it? Filled with that sort of spiritual truth and application for us. What will God reward on the last day? 
Well, he tells us in the Bible. Here is a list. Oh, you can't read that. Oh, can you read that? I hope you can. I'll give you the scriptures for it in a moment. Um, we are to take God's word. We are to read it, study it, obey it, be transformed by it. And as Acts 20 verse 32 says, that will lead to us having a reward and inheritance. These are God's guaranteed responses to our labours and our specific actions here. And some of these verses are just wonderful. And you've probably read them. And you might be a bit like me of, oh, I never noticed that before. I never had that in my mind before when I read that verse. God will reward us if we seek him in salvation, if we seek him in prayer, if we seek him in fasting, he'll reward us. Not just in this life, but in the next. Uh, he'll reward us when we submit to our employer and we are a good employer and we are doing good to others. He'll reward us for serving those in need, for sharing our time, talents and treasures. He'll reward us for... Um, any acts of self-denial and for those who are suffering particularly for him. The Lord Jesus refers to each one of these scriptures. Let's have a go at them. In Hebrews 11 verse 6, very famous verse. Do you notice this before? Without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God will reward us for seeking him. When we seek him for salvation, we not only receive salvation, but he's also going to reward us in the process. He rewards those of us who are persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Great is your reward in heaven for standing up for him, for not giving in for being loyal and faithful to him. Couldn't get rid of that. Apologize for the number of words that are on here, but this is Matthew chapter six, a very famous passage. Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may be given in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they already received their reward in full. See, that's the point. Note that. I didn't highlight it, but note that. If our motivation is to serve so that other people will notice us, Jesus says here, you've already received your reward. You wanted to be noticed by people, people noticed you. It's doing it in secret. It's doing it sincerely. It's doing it with a view to pleasing God, not to performing religious things before people. So Jesus goes on to say, um, but when you fast, put hair oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who sees the heart, who sees what is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, guess what? Will reward you in this life, but also... <coughs> in the next Ephesians 6 5 this is written to slaves and in our society that would translate across to those who are employees slaves obey your earthly masters your employers with respect and fear with sincerity of heart just as you obey Christ obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart serve wholeheartedly so at work work wholeheartedly 
as if you were serving the Lord, not people. If you're an accountant, be the best accountant you can be for Jesus. If you're a mum, a full-time mum or a home dad or whatever, be the best you can be for him, etc., etc., etc. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether you're slave or free, whether you're the boss or the employer. Because you know, you know, the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good. When you do good for somebody, God notices and you'll be rewarded. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Matthew 16. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. What good is it? If someone, uh, for someone to gain the whole world, be successful in this life, yet forfeit your soul. Not invest in your soul and your spiritual growth, your future inheritance. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Mark 9.41 Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, you won't lose your reward. Giving a cup of cold, God notices everything. Everything we do. And he is desirous to give to us. And so he's looking for every single opportunity and excuse to be able to bless us. That's the focus we need to be developing. Luke 6.35, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. You'll be children of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You'll be acting like God. So don't do it to get benefit back here. Do it to get benefit then. <clears throat> so remember, we get rewarded. Not because we deserve it but because he is gracious and generous. It's our duty to serve him. It's our duty to do these things. And he says, well, if you do those things, I'm going to reward you. It's bonus. It's on top of that inheritance that we have. And the Bible says to us very clearly, this is now down to phase six of that seven-phase life that we spoke about at the beginning. There is going to be a day of reckoning. There is going to be a divine review. A fact-finding expedition. The Lord of heaven who gives us gifts is going to also settle accounts. He's the returning king. What did you do with the mina that I gave you? What did you do with the gospel that I gave you? You've been sharing it. You've been, has it been transforming you? What did you do with the spiritual gifts I gave you? What did you do with the finances I gave you? What did you do with the natural abilities I gave you? What did you do with the relationships? I, all of this is a day of reckoning. A performance review. I like this quote. I hope you get it on the way through. <clears throat> quote, we, we may be able to limp sync our way through life, but we will all sing a cappello, a cappello, in front of God. Do you like that? We may be able to lip sync our way through life. Someone's playing the tune. We're standing in church. I'm just mouthing the words. I'm not really singing. I'm not really engaged. I'm pretending that I'm singing. But when I stand before God, I'll be singing by myself. 
There'll be no other background, no other help. It'll be me giving an account for what I have done. I don't have to give an account for you. I do have to give an account for me. And vice versa. There is this day. It's a wake-up call to us if we're complacent or compromising. Don't be seduced by this world. Here's another quote. What other, what, what other people think of us is important here. But at the judgment seat, their opinions will be totally irrelevant. Only his opinion will matter then. It's true, isn't it? We are concerned about what other people think of us. But the really important issue, what does he think of us? What would he say? That's where we need to have our focus. The Bible says clearly there is a day of accounting. What have I done? Oh, that one. In the past, God overlooked ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. And he'll do that by Jesus, the person he has appointed, given proof of it. Jesus' resurrection is proof that there is a day of accounting coming. They're linked. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, So we make it our goal, our ambition, to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Our goal is to please and serve him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in this life, while in the body, whether good or bad. Not our sin. Our sin has already been dealt with. There is no penalty for our sin. There is no condemnation for us in Christ. But if we've stuffed up, if we've done bad things, then we will experience something. And I'll come to that in a moment. Or Romans 14, 10 to 12. Not to judge one another, not to treat one another with contempt, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Well, what does the Bible say that we are to give an account to God for? And there's all sorts of scriptures to go with this, but I just want to read you the main headings. We'll have to give an account to God for the way we have treated one another. If we've loved one another, if we've supported one another, cared for one another, prayed for one another... Supported one another, missionaries, for instance, uh, financially, all of that. The way we treat one another, Hebrews 6, Matthew 10. Secondly, we'll have to give an account for how we lead others. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says that you are to submit to the leaders of the church, the elders, remembering their way of life, uh, and to do so, you know, submissively, because otherwise it won't be a joyful matter for them, and they have to watch over you as those who have to give an account. So if you're a leader of the church, if you're an elder, a pastor, an elder, if you're a leader in any other ministry or you're a leader of the management team, if you're a leader of a ministry, if you're the leader, you'll have to give an account for your leadership of how you led God's people in that situation and circumstance. Which is why the scripture says, James chapter 3 verse 1, that not many of you should desire to become teachers because teachers will be judged more strictly. Hmm. Painful verse. 
Uh, it says our thoughts, I should have put our motives. We will be judged for our motives and our words. Matthew 12, 36, on our words, every idle word that is uttered will be called to account on that day. Motives is uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, that God will expose the motives of the heart. So you could be doing something, but doing it for the wrong motives, well, God will expose it on that day. We think, wow, aren't they great at what they're doing? And they're doing it for Jesus, when all along they're no, not doing it for me. Well, he will expose it and he'll distinguish it. He's the master evaluator, ultimate performance review. Of course, we'll have to give an account for how we use our money and as I read to you, how we work, our attitude at work, both to our employers, but how we, are we just working and grinding it out so we can get paid financially or are we doing it as his servant, his representative in that situation? All of these things will be called to an account. Coralie read to us from 1 Corinthians 3, and Gary's going to put the passage up. I want to show you some. The truth, all of these truths are contained in this one passage, and it contains a very powerful verse, verse 13. So let's take a few minutes. We'll read through this again quickly. We've nearly finished. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which is, it's got issues, it's got problems. It's filled with people. <clears throat> And these people, some of these, had not grown on spiritually. They'd become Christians, but they'd sort of plattered. They, if they had started to grow, they then got seduced by the world or whatever happened to them. And he says in the beginning of chapter 3, you're still worldly. You're, you're not spirit-filled. You're still infants in Christ. I had to give you milk, not solid food. Because you, you can't take the heavy stuff. You're, verse 3, he says... Aren't you still worldly if you're jealous and if you're quarreling? You're acting just like unbelievers, just like a person, just a, a human without Jesus. So they hadn't made much spiritual progress. And then verse 4, he says, and you're divisive. One follows Paul, one follows Apollos, one follows Calvin, one follows MacArthur, somebody else follows Piper. Verse 5, who are these people? They're all servants of Jesus. They might have differences theologically, they might have differences of abilities, but ultimately, at the end of the day, they're all servants. Take note of verse 5b. And the Lord has assigned to each of those servants his task. When we were made, created by God, he made us for a life purpose, revealed by our particular shape and gifts and abilities and interests. Verse 6, one of them plants the seed, somebody waters the seed, but they're not doing it. God's doing it. We're cooperating with what he is doing. Um, verse 8, take note. All these servants have one purpose together, and they will each be rewarded. There it is again, according to their labor. Verse 9, we're co-workers co in God's service. Paul says, I've been using the illustration of your God's field planting and watering and growing. He said, second metaphor, second illustration, you're God's building. And then he goes on to talk about, I've laid the foundation. The foundation in verse 10 is uh, the Lord Jesus. And like a wise master builder, I've laid that, the gospel foundation to our life, and now people are starting to build on it. Verse 10c, each person should build with care. Be careful how you build. He goes on to explain, you can't lay any other foundation. And if you build on it, firstly, with gold, silver or costly stones, that means, I think, if you're giving it your best, it's 
costly investment or involvement. You're giving um, to please God, not to please people. If you're doing that, there'll be a result. If you, on the other hand, though, build with wood, hay or straw with the leftover bits, whatever's there, it's not overly costly. And I'm not doing it really for God. I'm doing it because I want to please people or satisfy my parents or whatever it is. And my motivation is not quite right. That's wood, hay or straw. Verse 13 is the key verse. Then whatever way you're doing it, the work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. The quality of each person's work. Consequences, verse 14. If what is burnt survives, the person will receive a reward. Verse 15. But if what is put to the flames is burned up, wood, hay, straw, then the person will suffer loss. You lose the bonus. You still have the inheritance, but you don't get the bonus if it's burned up or partly burned up. You'll be saved, but you'll have the smallest smoke about you for eternity. No, it doesn't say that. It says you'll be saved, but as one escaping through flames. What does that mean, escaping through flames? You've seen the news recently, bushfires? Some people escaping through flames. What happens? They lost everything. They're alive, but they lost it all. That's what potentially can happen for believers who follow Jesus, but who were not actively obedient, not being sanctified by his word, being complacent or lazy or deluded or deceived by the world or all those sorts of things that can happen to all of us. If you've messed up your life and you think, well, all my stuff's going to be burned up, you're not finished yet. You've got now until the day God calls you home, you can make a significant difference between now and then. Don't worry about the past. Confess it, repent of it, look to the future. I need to start building from now. I wanted to conclude by simply quoting you three scriptures. And let these scriptures, let God speak to you through these scriptures. So Gary, if we can have my PowerPoint back on. Go to the third last one if you can. Of course, I'm talking this morning to those of you primarily who are believers. It could very well be some here this morning that you still haven't made that choice. You still haven't yet decided that you wanted to follow Jesus. Well, I hope you can see one of the reasons why you ought to. Don't put it off. Don't delay. Make the decision today. That he's more than willing. He's standing with arms wide open still. And he will continue to stand with his arms wide open for you until either the day you die, when your destiny is determined, or that you reach a point where you reject him. That's why second phase of life is you've been created, made in his image for his purpose, life purpose. It's in this life we live and we choose. And we choose our destiny. We choose Jesus, we go home to be with him. If you reject Jesus, or even if you do nothing, if you don't receive him, 
then you set your destiny as well. You'll go to an eternity without him. They're the consequences. For all of us, and particularly for those of us who profess his name, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that Jesus died for all. Why? That those who live in this life should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are to live for him. He is to be the focus. I know you know it. And I know it. The question is, are we doing it? Because the evaluation day is going to be for what we have done. Terrific verse. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Stay true to the cause. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And for some servants of God, they have worked years, decades, planting the seed, planting the seed, planting the seed and never seeing fruit. But it's never in vain. It's not in vain because God will achieve his purposes, even if you don't know about it. And it's not in vain because he will reward you on that last day for your efforts. And then finally, the Lord Jesus says to us, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. The Lord Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he is the gate for the sheep. If the sheep go in and out, then they go out and they find what? Rich green pasture. Jesus is talking about the gate being our exit, in, our entrance into salvation and our exit from this life and going to an abundant life, life to the full. Could be ours. He offers it to us. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for this teaching. And Lord, you're wonderful because you are so generous and so gracious that you not only save us and lock in place an inheritance for us, but now you also give us these incredible promises that if we cooperate with you, if we're obedient to you, if we're serving you, that you're going to acknowledge that and reward it. How good you are. Lord, deliver us from and forgive us from being like that foolish steward. But help us to be wise like he was in terms of actions. We know what's coming. Help us to prepare for it and to make daily choices accordingly. We, Lord, want you to be Lord of our life and our circumstances. And we humble ourselves before you here this morning. May your will be done in each of our lives, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen.